Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Welcome back, guys, to the Vigor Life Podcast. And um, I got to tell you, today, uh, every time I'm like, I, I love it, this is a special one, but, you know, this is uh, certainly special because it's one of the legends in, um, in the industry and somebody I've looked up to for a long time, followed for a long time. I remember... I mean, now it must be like 16 years ago, probably my, my first perform better summit, maybe even, even further than that. Um, you know, watching you speak, getting on strengthcoach.com. Um, I mean, it's, it's been a long time learning and continue to learn from you. So it's an absolute honor and pleasure to have you in the show. Uh, Mr. Michael Boyle. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I like doing it. I've enjoyed watching your career, to be honest. I've, I am fascinated. I love it. I watch your place. I, I sent you a jealous Instagram message the other day. <laughs> people on Thanksgiving Day work on and we only had 40. So um, I love it. Thank I, you, I, man. I love what you're doing. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And that's, and it, you know, I always think about for, for me, these, uh, like I said before, too, this is, this is a conversation and I want folks to just extract as much value from it. And, you know, the, the kind of like the two buckets, like I said before, that I really want to dive down it, um, into is number one is, you know, where, with where you are right now, all this stuff, when you look back, you know, sharing the, the biggest insights on training. And I know we're going to riff on this because you asked me even five years ago about my thoughts on training. They're, they're pretty, pretty different than they are today. Uh, maybe because I, I turned, you know, I'm 41 now. And uh, I think that's definitely some of it, but you know, you've been a person that's been so good and honestly, like uh, somebody I modeled in this sense, you're, you're willing to learn. You're willing to, you know, go like, ah, you know what? I don't like this anymore. I think there's something better. Um, and just evolved so much. And so, you know, today, if you were talking to uh, even just, you know, I would say fitness enthusiasts, but coaches, when it comes to training, what are some thoughts as far as like, look, this is the, the 80, 20, you know, this is 20% of the stuff you got to do to get 80% of results. Here, here's the things I don't like anymore. Um, almost like a foundational, uh, big rocks, you know, when it comes to training. I, I think a lot of people probably will say, oh, I know what he's going to say because <laughs> I'm, I've got the, the typical old man response. Like you said, you just turned 41. I just turned 63. So I've, I've been doing it literally as long as you've been alive. This is my 41st year. And I think the biggest thing that I, if someone said to me, what are you saying? One I would say learn about the Dunning-Kruger effect and understand it and realize it's going to affect your life. You're going to, when you're in your 20s, you're going to be a dick know-it-all and you're going to really put some people off because you'll be so convinced that you're invincible and that everybody else is also invincible. And then you'll you'll hurt some people, you'll hurt yourself. I wrote a user, you probably read it, but years ago I wrote Evolution of a Strength Coach. You know, and I said everybody, yep. everybody starts out sort of, like meathead, I want to look good. I want to meet girls. You know what I mean? That's kind of the the beginning stage for everybody. And then I I jokingly said, then you become like the power lifter because you realize that people make fun of the guys, you know, the guy with no legs that's in there, you know, just doing chest and arms is getting laughed at by the real lifters. And then you get hurt. And then you start to go, oh, wait a second. I think there's a little more to this. And then you start finding other smart people that's when you kind of, you find the Stuart McGill's, you find these people in your life and you start to think, Oh, wait a second. There was probably a better way to do this than the, the idiotic go heavier, go home stuff that I was doing in my twenties and, 
And I was, you know, arguing with people on social media about and doing all that stuff. So I guess the, the biggest part of my advice would be if that's you, if you're listening and you're thinking, if you're listening and thinking, oh my God, why am I even bothering listening to Mike Boy? He's going to talk about all this stuff about, you know, not hurting people and being safe, and doing unilateral training, then realize that I'm talking, mean, I am talking directly to you because you'll be the one who 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road messages me and says, wow, I wish I'd listened sooner because I get those messages all the time from people who say things like, I, I always, I jokingly have the, I say the, the, uh, I used to think Mike Boyle was a pussy club. You know, there's a whole bunch of guys <laughs> every year. Some more guys join that club and realize that, wow, I used to think Mike Boyle is such a pussy. You know, he's always talking about not hurting people and being safe. And then suddenly they got a little older and they think, wow, I know what he's talking about now. So I think that would be the biggest part to me is just the idea that, you know, when you think that there's a lift that you have to do, or if you're lifting heavier, if you're, I mean, I used to keep up, you know, a 500 count bottle of Advil in my draw of my desk when I was at BU back in the old days, you know, and I'd be banging down 12 or 16 of them a day sometimes for whatever was aching. And I still remember one of my orthopedic surgeon friends, the one who told me that it was the safest drug. He said, this is the safest thing they've ever invented. It's like a, a godsend grabbed me one day at a football game. And he's like, you still taking all that Advil? And I was like, oh, eat it like candy, wash it down with Diet Coke every day. <laughs> and he was like, stop. He was like, it's really bad for your, uh, your liver or your kidneys. I forget what it was, but they suddenly realized that all this sort of the miracle non-steroidal anti-inflammatory was not a miracle anymore. But I guess the difference for everybody is to realize I, I lived that same life. I lived the the, you know, your back's supposed to hurt after squatting and deadlifting and your shoulders are supposed to be sore after you bench. And hopefully you recover enough in seven days to be able to do it again seven days later. And that's so not what it's about on every level. Because now I look at it and I say to people, when you're training, like I, we train lots of kids and they're somebody's kids, which means somebody's sad if they're hurt, right? I mean, besides them. And yeah. You know, and then we train lots of adults and like somebody can't go to work if they're hurt or somebody has to get surgery or, you know what I mean? There's all of these things. And I mean, now we've lived kind of, we've lived through CrossFit. I think hopefully we're sort of at the end of that foolishness, but we went through that whole thing where people said stuff like, well, getting injured is part of it. You know, it's part of working out. You've got to accept the fact that you might get hurt. So I guess that would be the the big thing for me is just, it's like, to, to stop the insanity and the foolishness and the macho bullshit and focus, really focus in on getting the person in front of you better, not worse. And that, you know, the couple of things to unpack that I'm thinking about, you know, number one is I, same thing. I, I think I was very fortunate to find the right people when I was younger, but I still did dumb shit. Um, you know, <laughs> nonetheless, yeah. but I hurt my back really, I mean, really bad, probably 15 years ago now, 15, 16 uh, that, that probably made me a 10 times better coach than I was for sure. Um, I would just hope that most people don't have to really mess themselves up to, to get the insight and that they get it through this. Um, but the, the other side, I think is kind of like walking this line. Okay. So, you know, you got to make sure that you don't hurt people. That's, you know, thou shall do no harm is number one. Um, finding that balance of challenging people enough to, you know, for not not just for the physical aspect of it, you know the the mental aspect of it, the growth aspect of it. How do you kind of find that um, now? You know now with coaching or when, or when mentoring coaches that are under you, 
and and going like, okay, you know, what's enough? Do you do you kind of pull back so much that now the training doesn't become, uh, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not being challenged enough in, in, in walking that line. Cause, cause I have that sometimes with, with new coaches, right? You, you got a person that doesn't really know. And then they, you know, push the hell out of the new 55 year old that hasn't done much, you know, versus some folks are like, Hey, look, I feel like I'm physical therapy. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like I want to get challenged. And in kind of finding that fine line, you know, as soon as they go like, okay, I can't hurt people. Yeah. I think that's what, like, if you look at, if you said, okay, whatever, you know, the Mike Boyle philosophy, the MBSC philosophy, the CFSC philosophy, whatever, I feel like that's where we are. I think we're constantly trying to say how, you know, cause I want to be as close to that line as I possibly can be. And my thing is that, you know, the line moves as you age. Like I had yeah. this conversation yesterday. I did a talk for a, a personal training group. And when you think about this, like what I would be doing with, you know, my son is a, is a healthy 17 year old. And I mean, we bench press and we trap our deadlift and we hang clean and we do chin-ups and, you know, we do everything that I would put in the higher risk category because they're 17 and they're young and they're resilient. And, but as I move forward, one, you know, we talked about the fact that I, yesterday I said, if I have adults and adults now, like I look at, if you're an, you're an adult, if you no longer are playing for your high school team, your college team, or playing for money, <laughs> right? Then you become an adult client. And my job now is, Hey, I got to make sure you feel good enough to go to work every day. So I think we've got, you know, people talk about whatever, moving the goalposts, but we've got these kind of constantly moving goalposts that we have to look at and see, all right, what in, and this is why we would categorize things in progressions. What in this pattern, let's just say we're talking a knee dominant pattern. Well, what's, what's the right target in the knee dominant pattern for this person at this age? You know, and like our older clients, like I would say, hey, I'm not a big squat fan. I'm a really big squat fan if I've got 50 year olds because they got to be able to bilateral body weight squat. You know what I mean? That's where now we're back to the basics. But if someone says, well, as they get going, then, you know, you then go to back squat. I'm like, no, we never go to back squat. Yeah. You know, we're going to go body weight squat, goblet squat. And then when they can goblet squat, you know, let's say something like 25% of their body weight, we're going to start doing unilateral stuff. But I can't start some of them at unilateral stuff because it's too hard. Mm -hmm. So we've got this, continuum that we need to operate on with everybody and just look at the patterns. I don't know. Do you know Patrick Ward, but Patrick Ward was an old yeah, original strength coach guy. He's a right? neighbor. He's a neighbor. Yeah, that's man. True. He's in your neighborhood. That's right. He is. But Patrick's wife, one time, I still remember this and I've used it in my presentations over and over again. She was like, I figured this all out, push, pull, do some legs and go home. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much, you know, <laughs> But figuring out like, okay, which push, which pull, which legs, that's really, that's where the art meets the science, because I've got to be able to look at that. And like you said, someone, Hey, I want to be challenged enough. I wanted, I don't want to challenge this person too much. I don't want to hurt this person. Uh, all of that stuff factors into the equation, but we operate way too much. I think in our field out of our own lens. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said it's, you know, usually the problem is are the young people who are really resilient, who've just gotten into training and then have this feeling like, oh, everybody, everybody can do this. Everybody should be able to do this. And you're kind of like, I, I said this the other day on Twitter, don't say, you know, how to train old people if you're not old. Like if you yeah, don't I saw know, that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for you, 
you feel different getting up at 41 than you did at 21, right? Yeah. Getting out of yeah. bed. I feel different at 61 or 63 getting out of bed than I did at 51 or 53. And it, it's kind of, you know, if you can't walk a mile in someone's shoes, at least listen to someone who has mm. and don't, um, you know, people always say to me, oh, you're always falling back on the experience thing. I'm like, yeah, that's because I got a lot of it. So it's easy for me to fall back on that. That's an easy fallback position for me because I can say, hey, I've done this already. I tried that. That didn't work. And now here's where we are. So I guess that would be the one, not the one, but I, I would just keep saying to people, try to learn from people who are more experienced than you and ask yourself, why are they saying what they're saying? Why does the old timer tell you that usually what the old timer tells you is true. I don't care what we're talking about, but when you're sitting around with an old timer and I can, I always use the example when I was a kid, my brother had a trucking company and I used to work in the airport and the loading docks would be like uh, probably five feet high. And I would always jump off the loading docks in the old times and be like, don't do that. Like, we don't do that. <laughs> so, you know, I'd be like, I'm dumb depth jumping. I can squat 500 pounds. This is the, this is training for me. This is great. And guys would be like, I'm telling you, your knees are not going to hold up. You keep jumping off the dock like that, you know? And then of course, about 40, I started having cartilage problems out of nowhere where then my doctor's just like, yeah, your knees kind of look like broken bottles with labels on them. You know, your cartilage <laughs> just kind of smashed up. You know? And I, I was like, I didn't really do anything. And then I think, well, I was doing some stupid shit when I was younger. And these old guys told me not to do it. So I just think it's that that ability to to listen. Like I've still, I had one of my friends son ran the New York Marathon. And she said, you know, what would you tell him? I would say my advice would be don't ever run a freaking marathon. No one should run a marathon. It's stupid. You're going to get hurt. It's going to cost you. And of course, he's, you know, trying to get an MRI. He's like, oh, you know, I did something to my knee. <laughs> like, yeah, because, you, you know, most people weren't made to run marathons. It, you know, it's, it's interesting. A uh, couple of things that I started doing this last year, and it was uh, a conversation from a friend that honestly sounded somewhat like you as far as like, we got to listen to folks with more experience. And I started, and, and not when I'm and I'm here as much, but when I'm on the road, when I'm at other gyms, like when I see somebody that's 50, 60, 70, and they're fit, older, they move well, you know, they, they, I asked them like, tell me like, I'm just curious, like, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing? How did you get here? Um, because I'm really intrigued, right? I'm intrigued and I've been studying tons of like uh, Peter Atiyah stuff, you know, he calls it back casting. Uh, yeah. It's like, hey, how, you know, what would you want you to last 10 years to be like, and I've, you know, uh, throw myself into that. But, but I started asking these questions and the kind of like the big thing was, First of all, nobody's barbell back squatting. Nobody's, you know, deadlifting with a straight bar. <laughs> so you start seeing these, these kind of things. I'm like, okay, what else? You know, and you see that they lift weights and they challenge themselves. Everything's joint friendly. They do some type of activity that ends up being essentially cardio, right? The, they eat well. And I started taking down notes. I'm like, holy shit, like this is, you know, I'm like, these guys should have their own fucking Instagram. You know, they, 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 these guys should have their own YouTube channel and and share more things. Uh, I mean, it sounds funny, right? But from from what you're saying is very true. The nuggets are right there, but you go like, ah, they don't know. You know, there's we're, we're the new generation and there's research. I'm, I'm reading all the research. Uh, don't worry about it, old guy. Uh, you know what I mean? And it's, and it's like you start recognizing like there's a reason why people have the knowledge that they do, especially when they've been in this game 
for so long training themselves and training others. And I, I legitimately am like, learn more from that generation, you know, or at least mix it up, right? Like at least get a, a chunk of it because you're going to be better off training your clients and training yourself. And I mean, and here's the thing too, when we're, I, I know for, uh, you know, your clientele, maybe a higher percentage of athletes. I actually, I, I wanted to ask you that. What would you say is general population versus uh, athletes at your facilities? 60, 40, probably now, just 60 general, 40 athletes. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're probably about, as they said, 75, 25 general population, but it's the same thing, right? Where the conversation tends to lean towards that maybe 1%, you know, or 5% or whatever it may be. And but you're, most people are training majority general population, always having conversations about how you train a person that's, you know, the elite 1%. And, and I think this is where things go wrong, right? Because you, you, bring, you bring that that part back to training general population that wants to move better, look better, feel better, be healthier, you know, be able to go to work next day, uh, not be injured and beat up and sore for a week. And, and there's a disconnect, right? Because you want to, it's like, oh, I know all this stuff. So I'm going to do all this stuff with everybody. Uh, and I think sometimes it gets you into trouble. Do you, did you have, you know, as you kind of progress through um, owning the gym, getting the newer generation in, and I know you guys do a lot of in-staff and education. What's that process been like, for instance, you know, handing that down to your coaches so that they can apply um, what people need rather than like, oh, here's everything I know on this new cool stuff. Right. Well, I think part of it is that it's it's a constant process, but it it some of it's continually reminding people it because it's really funny and it's reminding people like, hey, you know, Kevin Carr, who just now is one of my partners who has bought yep. into our business. But I can still remember Kevin for a while because we have one guy that works for us, Steve. Steve Bunker's awesome, but he still lifts really heavy. He's my age and he's one of those guys, like I said, he's made out of like iron bands. He, he doesn't get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's the outlier, but he would be encouraging like the kids, you know, to power lift or, you know, do some like try some powerlifting stuff with me. You know, we'll do this. And I got one, I'd get aggravated because I'm like, I don't want to even want them doing it in the gym. I don't want people seeing it. I'm very adamant, but they still did it. But I always laugh at Kevin because Kevin one time hurt himself, like hurt his back, like you said, really bad. He couldn't come to work. He said, he still says, you know, I spent like three days on the floor of my apartment. <laughs> crawling around, you know, crawling to the bathroom, laying on the floor. I know how that feels. Yeah. And we've all done it. Right. And that's my point is that, and, and that's why it's, I've, I've written so many of these articles. I wrote one article and I forget the title of it, but the subtitle was slamming your hand in a car door. And basically what I said was the idea that if, you know, if, if you had come to me and said, I hurt my hand, I slammed it in my car door. And then you started to describe to me how you were like, you know, my hand is getting better. I can move my fingers. I can't wait till I can go back and slam it in the door, <laughs> right? You like, you do what you did. You laugh. You're like, oh, that's really funny. But that's squatting, right? That's bench pressing. It, it's amazing. People will get hurt doing something. And then we'll describe to you the process that they're going through to be able to get back to what it was that injured them. And I look at that and think that is one of the most incongruent thoughts with, and I always say that's like distance, you know, runners all the time. Oh yeah, I got hurt, you know, whatever. I got plantar fasciitis. I got an injection. You know, I've been riding the bike. I've been running in the pool. I think I'm going to be able to start running in a week. And I'm like, you got hurt running. Doesn't that tell you anything? Maybe you got to figure out something else to do, but some people are so 
uh, and so enamored of the activity that they can't get away from it. And I'm like you, like, it's really funny. You said Peter Atia, but I've gotten really into the Peter Atia stuff because I think he's got a great messaging. I, and again, I think he's, yeah, I think he's whacked on one end in terms of he's a crazy, you know, he's like, yeah. one, I was doing 12 hours of zone two cardio. A week. Yeah. He's doing like, crazy amounts of, uh, I'm like, I don't do 12 hours of exercise a month, you know, like, <laughs> 12 hours of zone two cardio a week. So some of it's crazy, but I'm still listening because he talks, like you said, about his centenarian, centenarian Olympics, you know, what I yeah. want to be able to do when I'm a hundred. And, and I look at it and think I've done really well. I finally, finally at 62, they made me start taking a statin, but it was the first time I've ever been on any medication in my life. So, uh, you look at that and you think, Hey, I'm proud of that. You know, I don't have to take, I don't take blood pressure medication. I don't take heart medication. I don't take any of these things. And so I'm doing something right. And, but now I know I, I, I have, I would say general orthopedic stuff that goes on. I, I am clearly achy, you know, and stiff neck, stiff back, stiff hips, you know, that kind of stuff. But I look at that and think a lot of that is paying for, the dumb stuff I did as a kid. I mean, I, and I can, I mean, I, I could just sit here and, and make a list and you just laugh. Cause you'd be like, yeah, same thing, same thing, same thing. You know, we used to deadlift. We used to max, we used to max deadlift every week, like one RM. That was our deadlift workout. Just warm up and keep going and try to see how much you could deadlift for one. I don't know if it gets any dumber than that. It, it's pretty <laughs> close anyway. And you know, and then we'd go from there and we'd do, you know, cheat shrugs with whatever we were deadlifting. You know, we'd put that amount of weight in there, you know, and I look when I watched somebody, even when I just watched somebody do a shrug, I'm like, don't do a shrug. You don't need to do shrugs. Your traps aren't, they're not elevators. You're not made to do that. You don't need to do that. And then I see somebody, you know, doing it with 405, you know, and trying to snap it up like a clean pull. And I'm just thinking, you know, you're going to be like me, you know, sleeping with a neck pillow the rest of your life because you did this <laughs> stupid shit because you wanted big traps and, you know, weighted dips, you know, people, oh, you don't like dips. I'm like, no, I freaking not. I don't like them. I hate them. They're not good for you. you their shoulder's not supposed to be in that position. It, and then you get into the, you know, I, I did, as I said, I did this talk yesterday, the, you know, the no, the no bad exercise. There's no bad exercises. There's just bad uh, whatever uh, implementation. I'm like, no, no, no. There's a lot of bad exercises. <laughs> And as you get older, the list of what's bad gets longer. Say, what's a bad exercise for a 12-year-old? Ah, there's probably not that many. They're pretty mobile. Not a lot of water under the bridge. Bad exercise for a 62-year-old? <laughs> How much time you got? You know what I mean? I'll, that's I'll a great point. Them off. Th that's a great point, though, because, you know, kind of like the, the whole conversation of folks that I talk to that are older, like, what are the exercises they're doing? And, well, put it this way, a lot of different ones. There's, there's differences, but I tell you what, the list of what was okay before, none of that's on the list later. And, and I'm almost, uh, it's kind of like boxing. Okay, so I, I'll, I'll, it's like MMA and boxing, right? In boxing, you can go for a lot of rounds, but you get hit a lot of times. And it's probably worse for your brain than MMA. You know, you get choked out, you get knocked out. I, I feel like in training, you know, I'm, I'm almost grateful that I got hurt pretty damn bad pretty soon. And the reason I say that is because I change my training faster. And if you go longer, it's kind of like boxing, right? You do dumb shit for longer and it slowly kind of builds up. And then you got all these different issues that you got to deal with later on. Cause you got, you know, joint overuse and shit, you know, all this wear and tear. 
is popping up everywhere. Um, at least that's my analogy for. Well, for I what, think it's almost more like addiction. Mm. You know, like the the more you do, and the you know the the harder it is to get off of it because the more you are convinced that this is the way to do it, and you can't see the the forest because of the trees. You can't look at it and think, wait a second, this or or you do know, you know, this isn't good for me, but I can't stop myself from doing it. And I think there's a huge amount of that in our field. And that's what I think, like you talked about, do no harm. I think we have a responsibility as professionals to help people to not injure themselves. And that means exercise. Exercise selection becomes really, really important. And as you said, you don't want it to be so easy that the person isn't challenged. But for us, as a, for instance, I said, our adult clients, Basically, our adult clients don't touch an Olympic bar. And I never really thought about it until someone was asking me about bars and racks. And I was like, yeah, I mean, our racks, basically chin-ups, our adults, the vast majority of our adults don't do chin-ups anymore. None of them bench press with a barbell. None of them deadlift with a barbell. None of them squat with a barbell. But everybody does really heavy pulling. Everybody does, you know, a challenging level of pressing. Everybody does challenging lower body exercises. It's just the the tool that we're going to choose is going to be something that's more user-friendly for that person. And we're going to realize that it doesn't matter. You know, double bodyweight squat for a guy that works in an office doesn't really matter. Being able to get up from the floor matters. Being able to squat down to the toilet matters. So, you know, being able to do a lunge, being able to do a step up, being able to do even rear foot elevated split squats, that stuff matters. But whether or not that guy can get 400 pounds on a bar on his back, completely irrelevant in terms of day-to-day, you know, even living a really good, vigorous life, it doesn't matter. I don't even think it matters for athletes anymore. I look at the athletes and think we we were probably really misguided even with the athlete stuff at certain points in time. We chase strength. I wrote another article called training an athlete for 18 years. Cause I had one of my guys who played, I think he played in the NHL till he was 37, maybe. Yeah. So I think, uh, no 35. So I started training him at 18. I trained him till he was 35. And when he came in as an 18 year old, he was really strong. Actually, his name's Jay Pandolfo. He's now the head coach at Boston university, but he could bench press 300 pounds as a freshman in college. And I remember looking at him thinking, I don't care if you ever bench more than 300 pounds. <laughs> it's like, you know, as a hockey player, 300 is great. Don't worry about it. We got a lot of other things to worry about. But by 35, we weren't cleaning anymore. We weren't squatting anymore. He wasn't barbell bench pressing anymore. He was. It was just, hey, let's just get ready to go back and play another season and let's figure out the joint-friendly push, the joint-friendly pull, the joint-friendly knee dominant, all these things that we can do to get you prepared to play another year in the NHL. And when you go through that process with somebody, one, you start to realize, well, he's still playing. He's 35. He's still there. So obviously, you know, the 300 bench really didn't matter because he hasn't done that since freshman year of college or junior year of college or whatever it was. And even, oh, you know, the 20 chin-ups, that doesn't really matter because, you know, he's now he's had, you know, third degree shoulder separation chin-ups. Maybe you don't feel that good anymore. And he's doing ring rows instead because it's, again, more joint friendly. And you just you just realize that it's, it's about getting strong and getting fit in the way that best suits you at that particular time. And I mean, those are all great points. And I, you know, I, I started wondering too, 
first of all, if you have any type of pain um, or discomfort, you actually can't push anyways. It, it's just, you know, a conversation that just gets overlooked. I'm like, we're going to go hard in the squat. Well, let me tell you, as soon as the bar is on my back, my brain's like, ah, I remember that injury. I remember that thing. I'm not going to be able to produce a lot of force. But now, you know, get me into a belt squat, a double kettlebell squat. I'm like, oh, this is so much better. Guess what? I'm going to be able to push it, right? It, uh, you know, we you know what helped me really uh, program better for general population is small group personal training because we have like groups of uh, 16 people. And I never know, you know, who's going to be a new person that comes into class. So when these programs are done, you know, you got to think about having the right kind of like regression and, and kind of base level exercise so that everybody can do it. Like I got somebody completely new coming in and that, and, and the thing is, I'm like, I don't want anybody to get injured. There's a lot of people. I got to be able to coach this. And because of that, you know, the programming started becoming like, okay, less of this, you know, no straight bar deadlifts, uh, no straight bar barbell bench press, no this, no that. And I've, and I've watched it over the years and I'm like, man, like nobody's gotten hurt. Results keep getting better. People are not beat up. And that's our program. That's our adult program. I go back to like the old Anthony Robbins things, right? Success leaves clues. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when you, you were talking earlier about people being successful in the fitness business, well, what do you do? You look at guys like you or me and say, how were they successful in the fitness business? How did they do this? How did they program? That's what the, the biggest key to being successful in any endeavor is, I always say cheating, right? I'm like, Mike Boyle University, cheating will be class number one. <laughs> the sooner you learn to cheat and the better you get at it, the more successful you will be because everybody's out there. If you think, you know, whether it's like, you know, Mark Fisher with the unicorn society or whatever anybody's doing, there's so much information out there that's available to you about how people are, are successfully conducting their businesses. And it, you literally described your programming situation and you described exactly what ours is. Okay, I've got a 24-year-old. I got a 24-year-old girl who just got done playing college hockey or college basketball or whatever it is. And she's in the same group with a 57-year-old guy who runs an insurance company. You know, how do I program for them? And and that's why we always talk about our idea around like progression, regression. It's like, okay, up on the board is a knee-dominant exercise. You know, it might be split squat, split squat, it might be rear foot elevated split squat, whatever it is. What you need to be able to know as a coach is where on this continuum is this particular person in terms of making that challenging? Is it just a situation of, am I challenging them with load? Am I making the position easier? Am I making the position harder? And it's, it, to me, it seems really simple. And then I watch what other people are doing and I think, how can people not get it when we're offering it up to them effectively over and over again, either for free or for really low cost relative yeah. to, to the, the cost of kind of doing business. And do you, do you think, I mean, this is, this is, I, I don't know. I ask myself that question, right? Is it, is it an ego thing? Because it's like, ah, you know, those guys, like we go hard here, but it's like, you know, if I get, if I get somebody to go into my you know a training session, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be smart. Right. And I, I think sometimes that's what, what that's the part of it is the ego part. And maybe because, you know, like you said, there's a, there's a Mike Bowles, a pussy club. It's yeah. like, Oh, like 
I'm not going to do what that guy does. You know, he's a pussy. So like, I'm not, but and, and it, it's such, I mean, really you're shooting yourself in the foot. Cause like, what do you think that 41 years of training will lead you to a worse decision uh, of, of for your clients? It's like, right. I don't think so. No, exactly. And that's, but I think like you said, the ego thing, but think our field is a field that's built on ego. It really yeah. is much yeah. more so than, than a lot of other fields in terms of, you don't see a lot of guys like saying, Hey, I'm a computer programmer. And they've got a picture of themselves, like holding up their MacBook with no shirt on. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that's just not how it is. But like in our field, it's very much like, you know, that's what I always say to people, even, you know, when we're talking about hiring or, or, you know, finding a trainer or whatever it is, I'm like, you know, don't end up with some dick where it's all about them. And we have so many of those people because they, you know, people, oh, I, you know, whenever anybody says to me, well, you know, I want to go into this field because I love to work out. I'm like, that's a shitty reason to go yeah, into this field. Not it. Yeah. You know, if you love to work out, then, you know, devote eight hours a week to it and have at it and find a job. But I want people to say, I want to go into this field because I really love helping people. I like helping other people. I tell our coaches, if you love to work out, you won't like working here because we don't give you a lot of time to work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you get an hour a day, you're going to be really lucky. You're going to do a good job with your schedule. And there's going to be a lot of times where you think, I would say our average coach, you know, bangs in a 15 minute lift somewhere during the course of the day, you know, where they find it, you know, one or two exercises to do hard. And then they might jump on the bike and bang out some intervals. And, and that's working out. It's not, oh, I got two hours. I had one of my friends who was really struggling in business. And one of the things that he told me, he said, yeah it's really hard for me to get my two hours in for myself during the middle of the day. And I was thinking, no wonder you're struggling in business. I mean, <laughs> if your day is revolving around two hours for you to eat and lift and shower and do all the stuff that you need to do, you're not going to succeed in this business. You know, the fact anybody, I don't know anybody who's good who has two hours a day to themselves to do that stuff. Actually, you know what? Because I, I, I want to dive into fitness business later, but because you're on this point, what you, you know, when it comes to hiring and, and seeing the people that do well it, at the beginning. So let's say you're talking about hiring and building that career and starting off their first years. What are the things that you see and look for uh, from the coaches? You're like, hey, listen, these guys are going to be successful. Um, from a standpoint of character, but also just you know mindset and perspective, and of course, like you you kind of lead them into that direction. But it's almost like, hey, if you're getting into this, you know, listen to Mike, this is the stuff that's going to help you be successful. The mindset, the char the characteristics. Because um, look, I, I'm also in a phase where sometimes I, I get frustrated and I struggle with, uh, you know, I would say new hires and things like that. But I really lo love your insight on that. I mean, very number one personality. I always start out with the idea, I can make you smarter, I can't make you nicer. It's going to be very difficult for me to change your basic personality. So I always, you know, I jokingly say, I mean, I can look at people and think, I mean, I don't want bodybuilders. I don't want powerlifters. I don't want Olympic lifters. I don't want anybody whose hobby is working out. Like to me, those used to be things that we would think were assets if we saw them on a resume. Now I look at them as negatives. When someone says, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a body. Well, one, if I'm a bodybuilder, I'm like, okay, you're probably a drug guy. And I definitely don't want you around. Bang. I'm going to automatically. So if you're thinking about your resume, leave bodybuilding out, right? You know, <laughs> leave it out. Right. And even to some degree, if you're a power lifter, or if you're an Olympic lifter, leave that stuff out. 
because I don't, for me, I don't look at those as strengths anymore. Mm-hmm. What I really want, like, I think if I'm looking, I would probably like someone who was involved in team sports in high school, but maybe wasn't good enough to play in college. Because I think, again, those people have learned some life lessons already that other people don't learn when they get to be, you know, a four-year scholarship guy, you know, you know, let's say four-year scholarship guy in basketball, that guy's probably not going to be a great employee. He's probably had his ass kissed now for going on 12 years. And he's going to really struggle to enter into the the work world and be like a normal dude and, you know, when want to help other people. Right. I mean, that's, so I think all of that stuff really matters. I like guys. I've found that I don't care about grades. I have not found any correlation at all between academic excellence and the ability to be a good coach or a good trainer. And I, I may have found some negative correlation over time, but I don't think I've ever found any positive correlation. So people are probably thinking like, he doesn't care if you, you know, he doesn't care if you're into work and he doesn't care if you have good grades. What does he care about? I care that you're the type of person that someone really wants to spend an hour with. That's the mm-hmm. biggest asset from a business standpoint for me, because what we're going to effectively do is have people pay to hang out with you by the hour, <laughs> right? Because that's what it is. Now you, yes, you have to look fit. You have to, you have to work out. You have to be into exercise, but you can't be so into you that you can't be into them. I think that's the difference. I always say like, like I'm always leery to him. Like I'm leery of broccoli chicken guy. I'm leery of like meal prep guy. You know what I mean? Like anyone, like I said, anyone who talks to me about how much they can lift or about what they're going to eat or about any of that stuff. I'm always like, Oh, and those are like, all oh, those all like the lights go off the radar is like, Nope probably not going to like this guy. You know, if he's telling me that, oh yeah, you know, I, I got 10 cans of tuna in the fridge ready to go and chicken breast. And I'm like, great. You know, and you're going to be telling me, let, let me know what your body fat is. Like I care. I could give a shit, right. What your body fat is. I could care less how much you can bench. Like, and that's what I mean, but that's so much of our field. And so you almost think we are eliminating a huge amount of the people. And I look and think, yeah, I absolutely am. <laughs> I'm eliminating. That's why our staff's so good. Cause I've eliminated a huge amount of the people. That's such that's such good advice. Um, and you, you know, it's, um, I think it was, I was talking to Andrew Coates that said one of the markers for knowing that a coach is successful, watch the uh, body language and energy of their clients. Are they having a good time? Are, are they are they feeling good and having a good time during the session? You don't hear that a lot, right? Like uh, it's like, hey, is the programming good? Is are they getting results? It's like, look, that's important, yes. But if they're getting, if they're looking like they're enjoying themselves. Even if it's challenging, but they're enjoying themselves, they're going to keep coming back. They're going to come back longer than, you know, the other client that's not enjoying themselves and they're going to get better results. So, you know, that that's a, a definitely a big one and a big marker to look at. Um, the have, have, did you ever have you ever heard of the like the 51 er rule that um, Danny Meyer talks about? No, I, I, I literally feel like you explained. So Danny Meyer is the guy that started Shake Shack, but he's like one of the most famous restaurateurs of our time. One of my favorite business books is called Setting the Table. And um, he talks about 51ers. He said, look, if you if you have all the technical knowledge about a, a, a skill, so let's say in training, you know, you know, your programming and coaching cues and X's and O's and nutrition, you know, that's 49 out of 100 points, right? And, and that can be learned. I can teach you 49, right? 51, that's basically empathy, compassion, uh, teamwork, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're a learner, you're curious, you know, you want to improve, you always want to improve and you have, he calls this the, um, hospitality reflex. So, you know, just like if I drop this and catch it, 
people that have a hospitality reflex, like they want to serve you, right? They're, they're like, they're, their tendency is to serve. And he's like, I can teach you to 49. I can't teach you to 51. So I, I look for 51ers. And, it, right. and it's and it's like, that's, uh, man, it took, you know, first 10 years, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I thought that that was like, ah, oh, that's cool. And then the next almost 10 years, I'm like, man, that is probably one of the most on point analogies I ever heard. And, and like you explained it, very, very well. Eliminate this, 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 this. And it sounds harsh, but it's like, if if your main goal is to, you know, improve the life of your clients, make sure to keep coming back. And at, at the end of the day, for your business to be successful, then that's the kind of lens you got to look at, at things through. Exactly. And that, like I said, and I just, I, I always, I go back to that idea. I, it, it's going to be really hard and I, that, like you said, you look back, it's going to be hard for me to make you nicer because I tried. I tried to save some people <laughs> and and make them because I thought, you know, they they got a lot of what I need. And then I realized, but they don't, like you said, they, yeah, they got 49% of what I need, but they don't. I can never get the 51 into them. And then I realized after that, it's always backwards. Like you can't flip it. At least in my situation, I've never been. No, I, I, I mean, it's like you're. It. I'm going soft skills all the way. Mm -hmm. Are you a person who, who likes, who likes people, who likes to work, who, as you said, who's eager to serve? Are you the person I, you know, I watch people all the time. I watch everything in terms of, you know, do they clean up? Do they pick up stuff off the floor? You know, do they walk over things that are, you know, I'm, I'm on my kids about that stuff all the time and, you know, they're, they're younger, so they don't quite get it yet, but realizing what makes a really good employee and, and it's interesting. So one of my favorite books is uh, First Break All the Rules. Have you read First Break All the yeah, Rules? Yeah, excellent book. Yeah. So, but you know, they, the things that they talk about, like why, why people stay, money doesn't, and money's not in the top 10. You know, mm -hmm. what's in the top 10 is, you know, does somebody care about me at work? Do I have a friend at work? Do I have the tools that I need to be able to do my job? There are all these things that are in the top 10 that have nothing to do with money. So I'm always thinking, I want to get the right people. Then I want to give them all that stuff that's going to make them want to stay because they're never going to get, like you said, you know, you're going to make a lot of money. They're, they're probably not going to get rich working for us, realistically speaking. But they can have a really fulfilling career and really enjoy their work. And, and what you realize, like someone like me, I really, I've, all, I've enjoyed my work. I, I have that feeling of, wow, I've never really thought, oh, God, I got to go to work. I, I never got up with that mindset. And I've seen so many people, I mean, people who can't, excuse me, you know, can't wait to retire people like, you know, I can't wait till I got my 20 in and I can retire or my 25 or whatever it is. And I think, wow, I'm at like 41 and I am starting to think about it, but more cause I'm just getting old. You know what I mean? I'm getting old and tired, but I'm not, I'm not, not enjoying the work. Yeah. I still enjoy the work very much. And what the thing is, is like for me and like, I've been doing it for a long time, but I, I look at you and I say, shit that that's that's how i want to feel you know in in 20 years like i i mean i do a lot of things but i never get up in the morning and go like oh i, I really don't want to train this team and these folks and run like I, I never do that you know and of course it's as you know business is hard uh you're gonna have some challenging times and some crazy shit happen but there's a difference between that and going like i just dislike this right i'm doing it just because i got to do it to put food on the table and i I get that part too. I mean, um, but ideally what you do is work towards something where you're like, this is meaningful and I really enjoy doing this and life will be better if you do that. If you, if you go to work for eight to 10 hours a day, whatever it may be, and you 
love what you do, you enjoy what you do versus you go to work, you hate what you do, but you get a paycheck. I mean, that's about half of your life right there. That's, I, I think that's, uh, I'm not buying into that, right? Like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll exchange half of my life for, you know, um, so I'm, I'm very grateful in, to be able to do this. And I, I, I do think this is a special industry. Um, but it's also, you know, the reason why I love having these conversations for people to hear one, you know, is it for them? And two, like, if you're in business, what are you looking for? Because it'll make your business and everything much better. Uh, cause, uh, I'm, I'm just in a process of, of, of writing a book and I've, I'm, I'm kind of like the three C's to me are like the foundation of everything, right? It's coaching, customer experience, and culture. And that drives the three R's, which is results, retention, and referrals, right? Like if you get, if you get that right, I think that's a really good foundation. I'm not saying it's, you know, there's nothing else to worry about, but it, and, and what you're saying too, is like to get those right, you, you got to have the right people, right? I mean, it, period. Um, and that, but this is, you know, I, I'm very intrigued about this because you. How long have you been in business now? As far as uh, the the gym, uh, private business, twenty six years. Twenty six, man. Yeah. So almost three decades. It's like what, you know, two. Because there's a couple. I actually don't want to just ask about the gym. I because through that time you've just seen a lot. But like, I wanted to get your thoughts on like to you know today to be successful in this industry. And let's let's call it success. You love what you're doing. You know, you're busy. Uh, you can make a career. You make enough money to cover everything that you need and a little bit extra. You you, you know, uh, it's like, and mo most, most importantly, like you love what you're doing. What does it take for that? What do you think are the key things um, to have success in a fitness industry? If, if kind of what I just mentioned is, is. Well, uh, I think some success. people won't like the answer because I think you have to be willing to work a lot of hours when you're young. Man. I think if you're not, I think if you're somebody, I would say if you're looking for like the 40 hour week and, you know, health insurance and all that stuff, you should probably go work for the city, right? Whatever town you're in, like get a job worker for your town or your city or get a job worker for the state and, and punch your clock for 40 hours a week and get all your benefits. And that will be your life in our world. I think you've got to be willing to have kind of, you got to have a little bit of that hustle factor early on. And so if you want to be successful, that might mean two jobs. I mean, I, I worked two jobs till I was 52. I, you know, I was running my acting, probably three jobs really, but I was working for a sports team and running my business up until I was 52 years old. I left the Red Sox at 52. And that was the first time I'm like, wow, I'm just going to go to one place. Like I'm just going to go to the gym today and I'm going to come home and I don't, <laughs> have to worry else. I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have anything else on my plate. And I still did have stuff like, you know, perform better and speaking and writing. Like there was all these other yeah, things that yeah. I'm doing, but, but it wasn't sort of, I didn't have two actual jobs. So I do think you've got to be willing to hustle and you need, again, when you're looking for somebody, I, it's the same thing. I look at people, when people come to me talking about jobs and they start asking about, you know, benefits and hours and things like that. I'm the same way. I, it's like, I put my fingers in my ears. I'm like, Oh God, I can't listen to this person. You know what I mean? I, we, we're just, we're not on the same wavelength. If you're 22 years old and you're worried about, you know, do we work Saturdays? When do we come in? When do we get off? I'm like, this is not for you. Like fitness is particularly in the beginning. It can be like a 12 hour a day job. It can be a split split shift job where you, know, you think I'm going to work six to 10 and then I might work four to nine. And then maybe I can go out with my buddies or do whatever I want to do after that. But uh, so I think there is a, a, certain type of person 
that is going to be drawn into this field and going to be able to succeed. But then the next step is that person has to learn. The number one thing you have to learn, which I, I and I wish I'd learned it sooner, you have to learn to invest. And I know you know this because you're into the real estate world like I am, right? I've been flipping houses. My kids, my daughter has lived in 25 houses. She's 23 years old, maybe yeah. more than 25 houses. So when we started out, I mean, I would sell a house. If the house price went up 12 grand, I'd sell it. And people, <laughs> you'd sell a house for $12,000. And I'm like, my first job was $12,000, <laughs> right? So if I could make $12,000 on one real estate transaction, I was making that transaction and I was on to the next one. And I mean, my, my daughter doesn't remember, but my daughter is 23. She lived in a couple of houses where, that we moved into that were real bomb shelters, like houses that didn't have, one of them didn't have like a back wall going out to the deck. It had, they had the door had fallen, you know, the patio door had fallen out and it had plastic taped up over it. And I've had people come by literally and be like, you live here? I'm like, yeah, I'm fixing this house up and I'm going to sell it. I'm going to make a lot of money. And I've, we've done that. You know, every turn of the wheel, we made money. We invested that money. They, because the key, and I'm going to tell you this and you already know it, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway, because you don't, I had a friend of mine. I was very, very lucky. I had a friend who was in the investment business that used to work out at the gym. And one of the things that he said was, Mike, he said, you won't understand money until you get to critical mass. And I remember looking at him, I might've been, maybe I was a little short of 40, 35, 36, mm -hmm. 37, whatever it was. And I was like, his name was Mike too. And I was like, I don't get it. He goes, no, you really won't. He said, because you won't understand the power of money until you have a lot of money. And I just remember thinking like, you know, but he, cause he was like, you know, he was like, how much money you got in your uh, retirement fund? And I was like, I don't know, 20,000 maybe. And he was like, so if that money doubled, you'd have 40,000. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. He was like, right, that would be great. He said, but if you had 2 million and it did the same thing and it doubled, you'd have 4 million. He said, that would be a really significant event in your life. And then he started talking, it's like, like Darren Hardy, you know, compound effect and slight edge and all that stuff. So he's talking about compound interest. He said, at some point late in your life, you're going to have a relatively large amount of money. He said, and that amount of money is going to double every seven years. If you're not an idiot, basically the way that goes, <laughs> if you're not a total moron, you're going to double your money every seven years. And he said, and the last two turns of the wheel will be significant. And I was, you know, again, I didn't really get it. And then all of a sudden around 50, I remember looking and thinking, wow, you know, we've got, let's just say, we'll take 500,000 as a round number. We got 500,000. That's pretty good. And then I look at 57 and I went, Hey, we're millionaires. That's, that's crazy. You know, the 500,000 that doubled mm -hmm. millionaires and then realizing, you know, 64 is coming up. It's like, wait a second. Now we, now we're double millionaires. You know, we get $2 million, you know, those last couple terms make a really big difference, but it's all based on starting investing when you're young, you know, and people say stuff like, you know, buy a house, open a Roth IRA. And everybody's kind of like, ah, la, 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 you know, I don't hear you. I this, you know, who cares? And, but you realize that, wow, when you get to the end, like where I am, you're going to go, holy shit, they were right. And that's another, it's like, it's like the no back squat thing. Do you know what I mean? Like people think <laughs> you, know, yeah. you don't start saving money till you're 40, you're screwed unless you're making a lot of money. Right. And it goes back and I, we've probably read all the same books, but if you think about like, you know, the wealthy barber, there's a lot of really good, yep. simple finance books, right. They, you know, they tell you save 10% of your income. That seems really simple, but if you save 10%, 
and you make 10%, that starts to get really substantial over time. And because I got to the point where I was making enough money where it was getting hard to save 10% of my income. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not as easy. Like it was, you know, if you're making 20,000, can I save 2,000? Well, yeah, I probably can. You know, if I'm making 200,000, can I save 40? It's like, well, that's a lot, you know, to save. <laughs> but if you still keep trying to do that same thing, and because that, you know, now you're going 20% a year, that makes that number go crazy really, really fast. So I guess that would be the biggest thing. If you're going to be in a field where you aren't destined to make a lot of money, then you need to have a plan in place to make a lot of money. I even talk about, you know, I said, I tell our guys all the time, they don't do it, buy a multifamily house. We didn't live, my family did not live in a single family house until after my daughter was born. So it was 22 years ago was the first time I bought a single family house. I had tenants, I had, you know, rental apartments and it was just part of the deal. Cause I remember thinking, you know, I can live for free. If I buy a three family house, I can live for nothing. Well, who, where did, where did you, for instance, who, who was the person that made you go like, Hey, you should probably invest in real estate or just investments in general. Honestly, I found the, there's a, a book. I'm trying to think of the name. It's how to become financially successful by investing in real estate is the name of the book. And I'd have to look on Amazon to think it. the name, the author's name is not coming to me, but um, my college best friend, his family, his dad was a phys ed teacher, but his family, his grandfather was a multimillionaire based on rental real estate down in Connecticut. And, uh, and he started talking about the idea. We should buy, you know, we should buy two family. You and me, we should pool our money, get a two family. And I thought, it's not a bad idea. So then I went, you know, went to the bookstore and bought this book, how to become financially successful by investing in real estate. And then you start to realize, again, you start to understand compound interest, you start to understand other people paying you mortgage. You start to understand the concept of equity. You start to understand, you know, one of the first lessons they tell you is that, Hey, isn't it crazy that, you know, like in the days of 5% down for $5,000, you could buy a <laughs> asset valued at a hundred thousand dollars. Like imagine if I said to you, Hey, Luca, I'll sell you $100,000 for $5,000. But that's really- Yeah, let me get 20 of those things. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> and then someone said, and by the way, real estate's probably going to go up faster than most other things in terms of its appreciation. And you're going to get appreciation based on the fact that you bought $100,000 in real estate, but you bought it for $5,000. So you look and think, well, wait a second, I'm going to make my money back in the first year. You're like, yep, you'll definitely make your down payment back in the first year if, if it goes up 5%. You know, and in two years, now you're selling at a profit. You know, in three, it's like, and that's what we did. And and the, the truth is, I look at some of them and think, God, if I'd held on to some stuff longer, I'd be really rich. But I'm not bad off right now. I'm doing okay. So I, I, I'm not I'm not crying by any stretch of the imagination. But it's, and the other one, um, I just bought Millionaire Next Door for my, uh, for my like senior staff guys. You don't know, talk about the idea, you know, and, and again, I, I say it to you, you know, your head because you've read them all too. You're like me. You're like a, it's like talking to a younger version of myself. But when you look at that and think, you know, the millionaire next door lives in a more modest house. He drives a more modest car. He eats at more modest restaurants. There are all these things that the millionaire next door does because the whole idea of the millionaire next door is you don't know, like, like maybe my friends that I live with here, you know, in my hometown would not know that I have a lot of money stashed away someplace because I don't live like I have a lot of money stashed away someplace. Most of the time they see me, I'm in what I'm in right now. I'm in a gray sweatshirt and sweatpants. And, you know, I drive a modest car. I got the new Bronco, which I really like. It's a cool car, 
but it's $45,000 car. You know, it's not $145,000 car. I've never had, you know, even with my kids, they've always been like, could we live in a house like that? And I'm like, yeah, we could. You never will, but we could. (laughs) (laughs) In your lifetime, that won't happen. But as a result, like they've always had a lake house. As long as they've been alive, they've had a place to go in the summer on a lake because I'm like, I'd rather have two houses, you know, rather than one McMansion that I'm paying for, you know, up to here. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have two modest houses, but have one of them be someplace on the water that I can go to to get away. And so I think, and sorry, I'm probably getting super tangential on you here, but- No, no, this is good. You know, there's so much of this that you need to have foresight. And it's probably going to be in your 30s that it's going to really kick in. I think in your 20s, you're still just going to, you're going to be an idiot. You're going to be like, whatever, looking for a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever it is. And and just, you know, roaming, roaming the streets and spending your money on beer and pizza. But all of a sudden, when you get to about 30, you got, you got to sit down and have a long, hard conversation with yourself and say, wait a second, how's this whole thing going to end? <laughs> No, I like I've, I'm going to start with the second thing first and, and, and then go to the first part, because those are it's almost like, look, here's the two things. Um, but, but financial literacy and just understanding of money, I think just in general is is, is a skill set that's not taught enough, um, let alone in this industry, I think, because you don't you know, you don't get the 401k and the matching 401k from the company and whatever else. Not to even say I, I think that that's a great investment, but you just don't have that conversation and you just kind of live day to day, week to week, month to month and and don't go like, okay, but what about, you know, when you hit, you know, fill in the blank, 35, 40, 45, I got kids, I got a family and, and understanding, cause that was, you know, a person taught me just richest man in Babylon, 10%. There you go. And, and, and then, you know, and it, and then it was like, just the, the understanding of initially when I was, when we started gym in Slovenia, I came here independent contractor, and uh, everybody's like, great, I'm going to make more money. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, you, you're not going to pay, you know, the company's not going to pay taxes for you. You're going to have to pay those taxes, right? So it was like 10% has got to go there. And then you got to take a whole chunk out to make sure that when the tax man comes, you can pay them. You know, we'd have coaches at the end of the year going like, holy shit, I got to pay 20 grand to, to taxes. And I was like, yeah, your check was bigger, but like, that's not all your money. And how, you know, and then if you're going to put stuff on the side and invest in yourself and right, that dollar is not your, your dollar. Some of it should go to investments and savings and and, and to taxes, but it, it, there literally was no understanding of that or desire to, to really understand that. And to get to a point, you know, I'm very big on whether you're, I mean, if you're a gym owner for sure. Um, but even if you're a coach, you know, like you said, real estate for me, it was like, I didn't buy myself a house. I, I bought a building good debt versus bad debt, you know, it's like now every, you know, for, for six years, every dollar I put in is equity price goes up. The real estate company makes money. It's, it's like, how can I make this thing work for me? If I'm going to do that, I love this industry and this business, but how can I make it work for me? And you got to start thinking about that. I think ASAP, you know, and, and for me, I, I teach the team. I'm like, listen, guys, just some simple constructs, you know, when you make your money, start putting it aside. You want to learn more about where, where, you know, where I'll, I'll give you my opinions. I mean, I'm very geeky and study this stuff a lot, but uh, if you can start doing this now, you know, you'll be better off because the, the person thinks, well, I will, but when I make more money, it's like, no, 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 it's, it, it's a skill set. It's, right. it's not about making more. Like if, you know, one, one of my mentors, Chips Warzel was like, if you make a dollar, 10 cents, 20 cents goes on the side. And he's like, 
you understand, I know you're probably laughing when I'm telling this to you, but he's like, do that because it's not about the 20 cents. It's about the habit of doing that. And then when 20 cents, I mean, a dollar becomes a thousand and 10,000, a hundred thousand. Now it really makes a big difference, right. but it will be, it'll be normal because you're so used to doing it. And it's too easy to go like, well, I don't really make a lot of money. So I can, why would I do that? I'll wait till I get more money. And you're right. I mean, that's the, you said that's the richest man in Babylon thing, right? I remember my wife and I used to have the 10% account and we, because at that time we were bartending and waitressing and it would be like, you know, we'd come home hundred bucks. Okay. Give me 10. Yes. <laughs> oh, hell we, yes. We'd stick that 10 away. And like that 10's going, that's going to buy a house that, you know, we're, we're going to buy real estate with that. We're going to take the 10% money. The 10% money is going to become our real estate money. And then, you know, we're going to, we're going to move forward from there. And we did those things. And it's the same way. I mean, my wife, I, I have huge admiration for my wife because She's the same way. I mean, she could be living like a princess if she wanted to. And my wife literally still goes to thrift stores. She's 57 years old and she'll go back and show me, I got this sweater for $3. You know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, same, you can, you can buy what you want. You know, she's like, I know. She said, but I love the idea that I got, I got a cashmere sweater for $3 at this store. You know, and, and I'm like, great. But that's the way that we live. And that's the way that we teach our kids to live. And as a result, we live really well because we can spend money on the things that we want to spend money on. And you don't end up so many people again, and you know this, but there's so many people in America who make a lot of money and that's what, you know, that's the millionaire next door, but they don't have the net worth because, yeah. you know, because they've bought the car and because they bought the house, they've done all these things that, that they shouldn't have done. And then they just keep getting a raise and the raise just keeps going to the raise raises their lifestyle. You know, that's what people say. I'm going to put a new kitchen in and I'm kind of like, you're going to put a new kitchen. You're going to spend a hundred grand to put a kitchen in or something like that. <laughs> and even for us, like my wife and I, we, the house I'm sitting in right now, I mean, we did the house over literally ourselves. Like when we put a new kitchen in, but we got it the kitchen. You know, we took the kitchen floor up. We pulled the floor up. I mean, and I, the floors, you know, I'm looking at right now. You go out there and look at the floor. I put that floor down. I literally spent probably 30 hours on my hands and knees. I'd never put a floor down before, but the whole house needed to be floored. And I'm like, it's like putting a puzzle together. I think I can figure it out. So I, <laughs> I bought a, you know, a staple gun and carried a bunch of boxes of flooring in. And we, you know, again, she and I carried all the flooring in and people would look at us and be like, you guys are crazy. And, and I look and think I'm crazy like a fox because the money that I'm not spending to has, you know, to have some guy, you know, pay him $10,000 to put my floors in goes into my, my real estate purchase. And it's, you know, the one, my regret, like you bought your building by Boston. We never were able to buy a building because the real estate, commercial real estate out here is in such an insane place that you can't, there was never an opportunity. And, and honestly, that's our biggest business struggle is our, our rent is crazy. We pay, we have 22,000 square feet with between the two facilities. We've yeah. got 30,000 square feet. We pay a lot of money in rent. We got to, we got to generate a lot of revenue just to pay the rent. Yeah. And, and that's, and that, yeah, that's, that's definitely, I mean, and, and look, I, I always, always go, cause people would say stuff like that and go like, well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, this, the faster you think about it, you know, if you buy a spot that's 3000 square feet or 5,000 square feet, you're still, you know, it's, it's yours and you can grow out of it and then you can lease it to somebody else and you can do a whole a lot of things with it. Right. 
I, I just think the, the you know the point that you made, I think this is very powerful. Is like you you have intent. You know, you, you're like, hey, this is going to go into a real estate account. You know, we're going to save here. We're going to do that. We're going to we're going to flip it. And I think folks need to start doing that as soon as possible in this industry. Um, I definitely think there needs to be, you know, I, I try to talk a lot about that because there needs to be more resources for folks um, to hear this in this industry as much as possible. Now, it, this brings me to point number one. And, you know, you're like, I'm going to sound crazy. I just feel like you're just, you know, in, in my head about this one that it when you start, I don't think that there's really any way to get ahead and be really successful if you're not willing to put in hours. Um, and, and the idea of what the hours are, because this is just one of the things I've seen, right? Like, hey, I want to be in the fitness industry, but I kind of want to do, you know, 15, 20 hours a week and do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm like, if you really want to get great, I, I think you can't even have that mindset of uh, uh, an hour limit, right? I mean, ser seriously, that, that's, that's, my, that's my... I think when you're young... You probably, and it may sound wrong, but there needs to be some time when you're exhausted. I can remember even when I was at BU, I can remember sleeping on the floor in my office, just going in and laying down and being like, oh my God, I just need to sleep for an hour and thinking I got an hour right now and I'm just going to lay here, you know, and set my alarm and, and go to sleep for an hour. Like if you don't, when you're young, if you're not willing to work really hard, you're never going to be able to work really hard because that's when you have the best capacity to do that. But I, again, I learned that too. I mean, my, my father was a high school teacher, high school principal, but the same thing, coach football, coach basketball, you know, in, in the spring, you umpired softball and his standard joke was no self-respecting guy has one job. He would always say that, you know, whenever he knew anybody, cause he got one job, he goes, no self-respecting guy has one job. And, and I grew up listening to that. And I don't, it didn't have an effect on me till I was older. And then I realized Jesus, he's right. You know, in terms of, you know, like I was attending bar, I was a strength coach and I, my wife and I worked every weekend, probably from the time we were 21 till the time we were 30. I worked across the street from Fenway park. That's why I used to joke. It was unbelievable that I ended up working for the Red Sox. I won a world series ring literally across the street from the bar that I worked at. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. In my twenties. <laughs> and you know, it's like, but we were making, you know, I, I'd make, We'd make, I don't even know, God, you know, we'd make five, six, seven hundred bucks in a weekend at that, which at that time, you're talking about the 1980s, that was a huge amount of money. Yeah. But we would work, I'd work, I remember I'd work Friday night, Saturday day, Saturday night, Sunday day when the Red Sox were in town, in addition to being at, you know, at BU coaching during the week. And so I would probably put in as much, you know, I'd put in another 25, 30 hours over the weekend, but I'd make three, four, 500 bucks for that 25, 30 hours. Again, that was, that was a lot of money that went into that 10% account. It was also a lot of money that went into Bud Lights and things for me. Cause you know, you get into that lifestyle, <laughs> but, but we, we learned to hustle and we learned to save and we weren't, you know, we learned to work two jobs. We learned to work doubles. We learned to, you know, that that's all the stuff that you need to learn. And it made, it made regular work really easy for me. Mm. See, that, that's, that's a really great point. And, and I think it's the skill set of that. Like what, you know, if you know what it's like to, you know, coach for 50 to 60 hours or whatever else, just work, work your ass off and work really hard. Like it builds capacity. And then again, other things start becoming like, oh, I've, I've done that. I can do that. Right. As, as you go older. And then there's this other part, like 
I look at coaching as a skill set, right? It's just kind of like, you know, I used to play basketball. You want to get better at shooting and dribbling and being great on the court. What do you do? You put in hours of work. And if you, you know, if you're, I don't know, in five years, you do 15 hours of deliberate coaching and I do, you know, per week and I do 50. I mean, it's, it's a compound effect of how much better somebody's going to be at that. And then you kind of look back and go like, well, why is this person packed and successful and saving money and being able to do all these things? And it's like, I, I've, I've yet to find, I've tried to figure this one out, you know, but I haven't, I haven't found a person that hasn't bust their ass for a long time at the beginning to then be more successful other stuff later. Right. And I, I've had so many conversations and I keep trying to, everybody's going to say the same thing. That's, you know, been in this game for a long time. It's like, look at the beginning, you got to put in hours. Um, and, and I love that you say that. Cause like, I want it to be repetitive you know, it's like that, that saying people need to be reminded more than need to be taught. Um, I, I think this is part of it. It's like, I, I hope people hear it again and again and again. Yeah. I mean, the people that I like, if I think of Alan Cosgrove or Todd Durkin or Mark Verstegen or, you know, people that have built up businesses, they're all people that they took risks and they worked hours. Like you've got to be willing to take risks and you've got to be willing to work hours because and you shouldn't, the harder part will be undoing that when you get old and not letting yes. that find you. And that's what I'm working on now um, myself is I'm working on not being defined by that. Like I struggle with the fact that I don't go to work for as many hours now. I struggle <laughs> I, I, there, there are I days I, I should go in. I mean, I mean like even saying, yeah, when I get done with Luke, I might just go in and like stick my head in for an hour to see what's going on <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to met, you know, let people know that I'm around. But yet I'll go in there. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll train a client. I have a client tomorrow morning at 730. 7.30. See, I was going to ask you that. How, how much do you still coach? Uh, not that much, honestly. I have one personal training client who I've had on and off for like 25 years. He's a 72-year-old doctor. And I've been training him, I feel like, literally forever. I, you know, I always said, you know, it's, we're either going to have to get divorced or one of us is going to have to die. Like, you know, I don't know how the relationship <laughs> it kind of, it's just like two grumpy old men, but now his wife comes with him and his wife, they're both in incredible shape. They've been in my Instagram, you know, they, they look like they're 50, but, um, I train them. I have a group of girls, kind of elite level women, a lot of them playing women's professional ice hockey. Some of them playing on the national team. I got a couple of girls that are on the, uh, women's national lacrosse team. I, I'm in with them in the morning and then I have my son and his friends. And that's basically what I do from a training standpoint. So whatever number of hours they're training, that's how many hours I'm working the rest of the time. Other than that, you know, I hang around. I always say I'm everybody's assistant. I'm the janitor. I'm the maintenance guy. I have people like the kids, some of the kids that lately, the last couple of years, there's a couple of kids who said that I was dead. They were like, <laughs> Mike Boyle's dead. He, you're not Mike Boyle. He's dead. This place is named. Oh, no, see. I've had that, two, make, hey, that makes you a living legend. <laughs> yeah. Literally. I've had to show my ID to a kid, you know, to show him like, no, I, I'm because people would be like, I literally, one girl came up to one of the coaches and said, some random old dude just came over and said something to me. And they were like, well, what did he say? He said, you know, keep the bar closer. And, and they were like, random old dude. They were like, ratty sweatshirt. She was like, yeah, ratty red sweatshirt. Glasses? Like, yeah, glasses? Yeah, ball. That was Mike. <laughs> you know, she's like, you know, <laughs> like some random old dude that's walking around the gym that they don't have any idea. And that's the way I want it because now you can go into this same idea too. You know, the goal of the coach is to eliminate the coach. If I get to the point where people don't know that I exist, 
but our business exists as a brand, as a place where people will go for really good training, then that to me is the height of success. And that's where we are right now in terms of no one expects me to train them. Like I won't, no matter how much money you have, you could come and be like, I want Mike to train me and I'll pay, you know, $5,000 an hour. I'd be like, eh, not happening. I'm not taking any clients. I don't care how much, I don't care what the money situation is. I don't, I don't want any commitments where I have to meet somebody X number of hours a week. I'm good. Yeah, see, like that, you know, what, what you're saying, I think, you know, the word is leverage. Um, cause I, I mean, I struggle with that too. And I'm a little bit of a obsessive workaholic cause I love, love this stuff, but it's get, you know, uh, the analogy of like the spinning these, this heavy, like, uh, Ferris wheel, right? Like uh, starting a business or coaching at the beginning, you're trying to move the wheel and it doesn't move for years, you know, then eventually you move it a little bit and you get some motivation. But after a while, if you, you put in the work, you know, it doesn't take as much energy to spin that wheel, right? You just got to kind of give it a little bit of a, is that well, you, mine, you know, my one is mine is the guy spinning the plates. Like, I feel yeah, like, yep. I'm, I feel like I'm the guy spinning four or five plates and there's always a plate that's wobbling, you know, and I always got to run over it and be and <laughs> get a couple whacks, but you're right. I mean, it's, but that's what I mean. I can remember. I said to somebody, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, should you have left BU and opened up Mike Boyle strength conditioning? I probably would have said, no, I would have said, you know, it would have been easier to stay put at BU and just, you know, get a raise every, every, whatever, every 12 months and, you know, put my money away in my retirement plan and, and have a nice, easy life. Now at the 25 year mark, when I've got a really mature business and really great people that are working there and I don't really have to work if I don't want to. Now I look at this and think, Oh my God, smartest That's thing. I ever did. Yep. It's, it's exactly like your Ferris wheel analogy in terms of there are times when you think, wow, this is really, really hard. This is just, and it's not going anywhere fast. And then suddenly you think, again, like investing. Okay, I have an asset that I can, if I choose to, I can sell to somebody. Somebody will pay for this asset because it has a cash flow and a reputation. It, it's a it's a thing. It's an entity that's capable of being sold. Yeah, and in, and again, it's like the more I think the more work you do, the more opportunities you have to have leverage and spinning stuff and. Um, you know, I, I just think people try to spin too much stuff too early and <laughs> then everything stops spinning. Right. Oh, that, that's a part of where, like where we are now kind of in the, you know, in the Instagram generation, right? Like you're right. Like people, you know, I used to, I did a talk years ago for Pat B, um, on success secrets. And that's one of the things that I said, it was like, you know, until you've coached 10,000 hours, you know, don't make a DVD, don't write a book, don't, you know, don't write an ebook, don't have a website, like don't do any of that stuff. Just coach get your 10,000 hours in and get really good at coaching. And then at some point you might have, like you're saying, oh, you're writing a book now because you've got knowledge and wisdom that's worth something to somebody because you spent the time accumulating it. But if you'd said in your, you know, you were 25 and you're like, yeah, I'm going to write a book on, you know, how to be successful in the fitness industry. I'd be like, I don't know how many people are going to want to read that book from a 25 year old guy. Cause I don't know how successful you've really been you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're 25 and you, you're not like four. Okay. Maybe then that's success, but it's, it's all relative. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I, I'm actually, you know what, at, at this point in time, like what, what stuff do you get excited about learning? I mean, what, you know what I mean? If right now, is there something that you're diving into? They're like, Oh, this really excites me. And I'm diving into the resources. Peter Tia stuff, zone two cardio. I, I am an anti, I am as anti-aerobic person as there is in the world. If from my time in the team sport world, but 
the stuff that I'm starting to understand about this whole zone two cardio thing makes me curious, makes me think, Hey, am I missing the boat? Or is there something that I either, that I should be doing that my clients should be doing that's going to be beneficial. And I mean, I'm almost relearning physiology as I'm looking at mitochondria and heart physiology and all these things that really, I just probably weren't that important to me before. So I, I think the good thing about our field is that it's not the least bit static, yeah. particularly not for the smart people. I think it's really static for the dumb people, <laughs> <laughs> but for the smart people, it's not. And so there's going to constantly be another horizon or, you know, the things are going to ebb and flow and you're going to realize, mm -hmm. okay, something that 10 years ago, I thought, uh, doesn't really make a difference now suddenly seems to matter. And I need to go back and examine that. I need to maybe look at it from a different perspective. So yeah. that's, but even for me and then speed development stuff, you know, we've, that, I, I tweeted last night about, you know, Tony Haller. And it's probably been five years ago. Now I'd have to go back and look for videos and figure out when we actually started doing it. But you know, we started actually timing all the time. I mean, we time every day our athletes come in the gym, we time them. And that's been a huge game changer. So I think, and it's really funny because Tony, if you've, have you ever met Tony? I haven't met him, but I don't know who Tony is. Yeah. Well, Tony, Tony looks just like me. You'll laugh. Like when you see him, go look at his, <laughs> just like me. He's a 62 year old bald guy with glasses, you know? And, uh, but I get another one of these 62 year old bald guys with glasses who I'm looking at and thinking, wow, this guy's making me re-examine the way that I think about things. And he's a, he was a chemistry teacher till last year. He just retired. I mean, he was a public school chemistry teacher who coached track and football. And much like me, his dad was a coach to very similar backgrounds, but he just was one of these guys that really got me thinking and examining and saying, hmm, I think this is something that we're missing. And I love that. That's why I always go back to, you know, whether it was meeting Greg Cook the first time or McGill or Mark Verstegen or so many of these people that I've, that I've come across in the course of my career and thought, wow, this person has a, a, a unique perspective. This person is onto something that maybe everybody else isn't onto. And then I latched onto those people. And it's like, it's almost like they drag you to the top because, yeah. because they're going, you know, they're at the top of their field or they're getting near the top of their field. And all you're doing is, is chasing them. And, and the result, the result of chasing them is that you get sort of infinitely better, particularly if you can find four or five really good people to chase. And I was, I mean, I, I think I, I always say lucky and it's probably not really luck, but I've always had a really good filter and I've always been able to figure out, like I could listen to a lecture and be like, that guy's full of shit. And then I could listen to another lecture and be like, that guy knows what he's talking about. And I remember like listening to Greg Cook talk and thinking, man, this dude is smart. Like he's thinking, you know, it's next level thinking. Right. And then listening to McGill and the same thing, like, wow, He's really smart. He's, this is next level thinking and, and being able to think, you know, and meeting Mark and being like, wow, this guy, nice. with like Kim, he's 10 years younger than me. I'd be like, this kid is sharp. He was 30. I was 40. And I was like, this kid's sharp. He gets it. He's onto something here. And just realizing that I'm going to befriend these people. <laughs> I'm going to stay in contact with these people. I'm going to, you know, whatever it is, buy their materials, go to their courses because they're helping me get better. It's a very selfish, self-serving process in terms of getting yourself better.
it's literally like looking at someone and thinking, Hey, you're really good. Can I steal your shit? You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's, but it's like, yes, I'd love for you to. That's why I do these seminars. You know, I'm doing these so that the few people like you who are actually smart enough to embrace this, you can take it. You know, it'd be like someone having a house full of money saying, yeah, just go in, grab as much as you need. I got tons. I got plenty <laughs> as much in your pocket as you can and go. What that's a great analogy. Right. But that's knowledge. Yeah. That's these guys, you know, that, that are, they're saying to you like, oh, I, I've got all of this and I can share it with you and you can have as much of it as you want. And you can then take it back and share it with your people. That, and, that, that's such a great analogy. Yeah. Because and, I mean, so dumb. I, th- I think about that because, you know, again, you know, you said fortunate. I, I would say fortunate, too, but I made the choice uh, to go. I was still playing pro basketball, actually, when I went to the. Uh, a seminar in Birmingham, England. So I flew from Slovenia to Birmingham, England uh, for a Nick Grantham, Eric Cressy seminar. Uh, Cause I was reading all the T Nation Elite FTS stuff, you know, and I'm there, you know, I'm just geeking out. I'm, I'm, I'm an athlete, but I'm geeking out on all stuff. Met Eric, bought all his products, you know, a year later or less than a year later, I went to his place when it just opened up. Uh, you know, once I opened a gym, I went to a mastermind. There's Mike Robertson. Um, I've, you know, Joel lives in my area. So I've, I've known Joel for, Joel Jameson for 15 years, you talked about zone two. Uh, so, you know, he's been one of my best friends for a decade. And, you know, that guy, that guy was, you know, whatever, 16 years ago, wrote MMA conditioning was like zone two aerobic capacity. So important, you know, drilled it into my head. And it's, again, it's, it's been all these people that, you know, went to perform better seminars starting 16 years ago. And I'm like, wow, these guys are smart, right? Buy everything, consume everything, go to the masterminds, go to the internship. Go, I mean, obsessively honestly that was where i spent my money majority of my money but if there is a cheat code i mean shit it's like watch that you know apply as much as you possibly can so that you can get some feedback and, and reflect on it and in, and in course correct i mean it sounds simple it's a lot of hard work but i mean you ju- you just said it like when you see somebody smart like fucking follow them and and learn and just apply as soon as you possibly can yeah and it's like and I would say steal smart people's shit. Like that's the key. Because they're, <laughs> they're out there like, you know, whether it's Chris Poirier or perform better, he's going to pay a whole bunch of smart people to come and talk. And you get to take as much of it home with you as you can possibly consume. And then go back and use it. And no licenses, no fees, no you, one price of admission. Like it's crazy. But I'm like you, like I would go, you know, whether it, and I mean, when we started out, it was just, there was nothing but the NSCA convention, but even going there and, you know, and sitting and listening and, you know, being in the front row and going and talking to the speakers and befriending people. Like I look at it now and think, you know, I, I can call Al Vermeule on the phone. I can call Johnny Parker on the phone. You know, there's these guys. And the only reason I can is because I made the effort to meet them. I made an effort to, to, you know, cause like, you know, right. I mean, it can seem really contrived when someone comes up to you after the lecture and says, Luca, that was unbelievable. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. I really learned a lot out of that. But even if the person was totally full of shit and was only saying it to try to get you to like them, you would still be affected by that. You would still 100%, be like, 100%. Yes. You'd be like, that guy really liked my lecture. What's his name? Because <laughs> <laughs> you, like, you can't help but be victim to attention or to flattery, right? You, you just can't. And it's so easy. I can remember, I, I literally, I, I was probably, probably in, maybe in my 20s, maybe early 30s, but I would read articles 
and I would not understand something and I would just call information. I got Mike Stone on the phone one time at Auburn University. I just called and I said, I need the number for the National Strength Research Center at Auburn University. And damn, the guy gave it to me, you know, yellow page, whatever information. <laughs> I called up and like, is Dr. Stone there? And someone was like, yeah, I'll get him. And next thing I know, he's on the phone. I'm like, I'm reading this article and I don't understand this. And he's explaining it to me. You know, and I did the same thing with Don Chu. I called Don Chu in California. I remember I read an article that said Ather Sports Injury Clinic, Castro Valley, California. I still remember exactly the address and everything. I just called information. I said, I want a number for Ather Sports Injury Clinic in Castro Valley, California. Two minutes later, I'm on the phone and I'm like, is, Dar is Don Chu available? And they're like, can you ask who's calling? I'm like, yeah, tell him it's Michael Boyle. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's on the phone. Right? It's like, th th there's a Michael Boyle here for you? Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. Like, like, you know, if some, sometimes if you ask, like I've talked to people who work, like, don't, don't let that call through. Like if someone calls looking for me, I am not here. I need to, I need to make sure I actually want to talk to this person, but because <laughs> I know how easy it is to just act like you act like, you know, act like you're part of the information. And the same thing I asked on Chu. I still remember we talked about, he called him, uh, I, I got uh, high hand clean or something. Yeah. High hand. I'm like, what's a high hand clean. And he was like, you know, it's like a pocket clean. It's like from right below. I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. But I wanted to know it was in the article. I wanted to know. I called him. Uh, so I guess my point is that it's, and now it's so much easier. Like I can DM you, like you literally DM me on Instagram. And a minute later, I was like, what time do you want to get back on? Yep. Right. <laughs> Communication has improved so much that you can probably get to anybody that you want to with a reasonable amount of persistence. Yeah. And you, and you don't, I mean, think about those years too. Like most of the time you'd have to go travel for just about anything. Now you can buy courses, like live streaming, Zoom certifications, you know, message people on DM like that were hard to reach before. I mean, it's definitely a lot harder. So, I mean, there's other than having like an intent and a focus, if you want to get better, it is right there for you. Yeah. Um, we had Patrick McEwen on the other day at our staff meeting. He did an hour talk at our staff meeting for us because, uh, it, you know, Peter Lakatos, I don't know if you know Peter, but Peter's yeah, in yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Peter was like, you guys should really meet, you know, Patrick is great, blah, blah, blah. Emails go back and forth. And I said, hey, would you talk to our staff, you know, for an hour in staff meeting? And he's like, absolutely. I'd love to. Done. Okay. <laughs> you think, wow, how did we, you know, we got that guy to do it. I even go back like it's funny. I go back and forth on Twitter with David Epstein, which makes me laugh because, I mean, I love the guy's books. I think he's an unbelievable yep. writer. But he responds to my tweets now. You know, I'm just like, really? David Epstein responds to my tweets. That's pretty cool. And, but we have so much capacity to reach people. And, and that's why when people talk, you know, I don't like Twitter, I don't like social media. I'm like, you're a freaking idiot. You have no idea. This is like, you know, this is the freaking TV and the transistor radio and the personal computer and everything like all rolled into one. Like you have the opportunities that we didn't even think about. I mean, I had to wait for Muscle and Fitness and Ironman to come out. I would go to the newsstand and be like, are they here yet? The guy would get tired, like, you know, they're not here yet. Because that was how I got my information. I had to wait for the next month's Muscle Magazine to come out. And I had to figure out what day it was going to come out on so I could read the articles that I wanted to read. You know what? That's that's the last thing I, I did want to uh, ask you to your thoughts on. I mean, because obviously, like you just shared the social. I mean, you can learn a lot if you're especially if you're following the right people. 
But when it comes to coaches, you know, creating and that kind of first phase of, let's say, I don't know, let's say your first three, four years, you're in industry. Um, I have some thoughts around this. I'd love to hear your thoughts about, it doesn't matter the platform, you know, if, if it's, if it's Instagram or Twitter or, or YouTube, um, and you're, you're in the industry, you're, you're learning, you're busting your butt. What are, what are your thoughts about social media? And two, like, you know, obviously go into your team because they, if they're like, Hey, like, you know, can we post, should we post, you know, are you encouraged to do it? We, we encourage our people to post. I, I'm like, post, make sure that it's good. Make sure that the people in the background are good. Do you know what I mean? Like, make sure that the content is good. We talk about it all the time in terms of, I always say, you know, would you Instagram it? Would you YouTube it? That's what I want to th- say. I want you to think about when you're going to put something up on your personal account that might eventually find its way to our business account. You don't want to put something up there that's going to embarrass you or embarrass the person in it or embarrass potentially somebody in the background, whatever it is. But you should be posting. I actually wrote a Twitter post about that. And I, I said something to the effect of comment, but don't confront. So effectively, like, again, if I want to get to know Luca, then I'm going to follow Luca on Twitter. And when he posts something, I'm going to post, I'm going to post a positive response to that. I'm not going to disagree with you at 24 years old. Oh, you know, and, and that's where people do it all wrong because, and I, I could name four or five young guys on Twitter that I've blocked for years because they're assholes. And they're not 30 years old and they think they know it all. And I, one of them, I took the time to call on the phone. I actually got his phone number, called him and said, Hey, you're really hurting yourself with your social media persona. And he argued with me and I was like, you know, hopefully someday I see him 10 years from now. And he's like, yeah, you were right. I should have toned down. I shouldn't have been such a know-it-all. But I think that's the difference is again, realize that you can use social media as a, you know, again, you filter, like you said, you follow the right people, you screen out, you block, you mute, you do all the things that you need to do to have a, to curate your feed. And sometimes all you do, maybe you just go on and say, who does Mike Boyle follow? Who does Luca follow? That's probably a pretty good place to start, right? You start looking at that because it'll say at the bottom of yours, you know, following and, you know, this. Yeah, or, yeah. So you can, again, cheat, right? Cheat. I was like, cheating is the way to go. We discourage everyone from cheating in school. And then when we get out, it's like, it's all about cheating. <laughs> you know, and then we, like I said, it's the Anthony Robbins thing. Success, success leaves clues. That's cheating. Find successful people, copy what they do. It's that simple. And we don't do it. And instead, we might initiate arguments to look smart on social media. Or we might post dumb shit ourselves on social media, or we might like I would people post politics. Okay. You want to get, you know, you want to turn people off. Great. Tell me your political views. 50% of people <laughs> in America are going to hate you. No matter who you are. I don't care what you post. 50% of the people in America will hate you because if you have a viewpoint, 50% of the people have the other viewpoint. And so stay out of it, you know, stay out of all of those things and be a bit of a lurker, be in the background. And then start to introduce yourself to people, maybe send a DM and say, Hey, really liked that article. What do you think about that? See if you get a response because you will you know, it's, uh, um, you know, Alan Cosgrove would always talk about kind of top of mind experience, right? There are people that, you know, like I have, I call my social media boyfriends. There are people that I know that I only know from social media. I don't know them at all. I don't even know. I've said, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're five foot two or six foot eight, right? I know you played basketball, but I'm not exactly sure how big you are because I only see you in, you know, in little boxes like this or in little pictures. And 
So we don't even really know these people yet. We can have relationships. That was never possible before. Yeah. It's so incredibly powerful. That's why people say, you know, well, you're really big on social media. I'm like, yes, because I'm not a dunce. <laughs> I'm smart enough, you know, hey, it's raining. Okay, I'll either get an umbrella or I'll go inside. That, you know, that someone would look at that, oh, wow, that Mike Boyle, he's super smart. You know, he realized when it rained, he should go inside or get an umbrella. No, like there's so much of this stuff is common sense. All you got to do is utilize your common sense. Hey, I'd like to be friends with Luca. I think what I'll do is go on social media and argue with him and insult him. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a short That's really going to work, yeah. yeah he's going to have he's going to have super positive uh, memory of you. You know, when he looks at you, he's probably going to block you. And, you know, now you're uh, you're out of his consciousness. You're gone. Or I could go on and be like, hey, Luca, great post. Really enjoyed that. Learned a lot. And then you look at my thing and you go, oh, Mike Boyle. Mike Boyle always comments on my posts. Because I do that. I follow people. Now I follow people back if they make a favorable comment or they retweet or whatever it is, I follow them back. Cause they think, okay, this is somebody that I probably want to create or make part of my circle. It's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a human thing to do. Cause, cause I, I always look at it like behave like you would in real life. Cause that person that's saying some shit on your stuff, you know, in real life, they probably wouldn't communicate yeah. with you like that. And I'm like, if you try to make social media more like real human interaction, you'll probably be a lot better off. Now, unless if you're a dick in real life, well, then that's just your problem. Social media, like you're in a bar. You know, like what I what I say this to that guy in a bar when he was going to punch me in the face. And if I wouldn't probably shouldn't say it, then you probably should keep it to yourself or, you know, would I want my mother to read this? You know, there's a lot of ways there's there's so many like kind of filters you can run it through, but they all kind of come back to the same place in terms of how am I going to feel if I happen to meet this person in real life and have to account for myself, whether it be that person looking and thinking, I'm going to slap you. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or yeah. oh, I'm just going to snub you. I'm not going to not like you because of your social media persona. And I don't think enough people think, you know, it's because it's typical. Like, I mean, internet tough guy is... Uh, it's a caricature almost in and of itself. So, but those are people who are misusing literally the greatest development of our lifetime. Cause it, people like I do podcasts, one guy said to me, tell, well, tell me about the greatest technological breakthrough. And I'm like, Oh, without a doubt, the personal computer. And the guy was like, what? And I was like, I was coaching before they were, they were computers. Like we didn't have personal computers. <laughs> we had yellow notepads <laughs> and we wrote stuff on them and we had typewriters and we typed out workouts. You know, it's like, this is how you did it. And people forget that. I mean, you know, I'm of a generation who knows when there, there were no cell phones, there were no computers. I mean, that's, but the cool thing is the weight room is about the same. Right. I mean, the, you know, you look at the weight room and you think, eh, some bars and some racks and some dumbbells and a pull-down machine. That was pretty much the same as when I was in high school. I mean, that's, you know, I, I'll finish on this note that because I, I made a post about it a little while ago about the window test, you know, and, and I legitimately heard that from you. I mean, it had to have been like 14, 15 years ago when I heard it, wrote it down, you know, and I was just like, all right, you know, I want to make sure that anybody watching through the window, my people better be on point. But then, then I, you know, it was kind of like, okay, well, what's the window test on social? And you mentioned it, right? What are you posting? Um, but it being almost a, you know, representation of all, the, I think you do well if you do great work 
you know, face-to-face coaching. And then you share, you share lessons, you know, even if you're on a come up, I feel like social media can help you uh, become better because you're teaching, right? If, if you go from a perspective of like, I'm going to teach something, well, then you got to, you got to know it better. So, you know, creating content can help you become better because you're teaching, right? And teaching is the best form of learning. Um, but to me, that's been one big window test. And I keep thinking about that. I was like, okay, the stuff that we do in here, the stuff I do in business, um, let me just share it in, you know, infotaining ways. Um, but then if somebody ever does the window test on my coaching, my life, our business, our team, you know, I, I want it to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's the same shit. And it's kind of like how you represent yourself, you know? Um, that's how we, I, I say it, I say that over and over again. We said it the other day at the staff meeting and that's, you know, we, the mirror in the window, you know, the mirror you see yourself in, it's the window that everybody sees you through. And it's really simple. You need to, you just got to remember that part. And sometimes that, you know, we post, I tell people, I don't mind you posting real kids doing real stuff. And I tell people all the time, I don't post perfect stuff. If I wanted to post perfect stuff, that's all I do. Yeah. But I post our athletes doing things. And a lot of times when they're doing things, they're doing hard things. And hard things are not going to be perfect or pretty. They're they're going to probably be a little bit flawed. And, I, and I'm hundred percent good with that. Cause if you came into our gym, you'd see people doing hard things and you'd realize that it wasn't perfect. You know, you'd see people, you know, wiggling around on the last chin up or kicking yeah. their legs or whatever. And I'm like, and I look at that, you know, people, Oh, they, they kicked their legs. And I'm like, yeah. And I applauded the effort because you know what I really wanted? I wanted them to get the eighth one. And I didn't really care that the eighth one wasn't perfect. I cared that they hung on and kept pulling to get the eighth one. So, you know, there's, and that's, I guess, part of it too. There's room in this process for less than perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of shocked. Some guys come in our place and like, oh my God, you know, I thought everybody would be perfect at everything. And I'm like, this isn't like Disney, you know, this is (laughs) a real gym. People are working out, not going to be perfect. And Mike, I could talk to you for, for days, man. Um, Seriously, like we just talked for an hour and forty minutes, you know. And that, that, like, hey, like you said at the beginning, right? It's, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna fly, um, which just means that somewhere down the line, we, we definitely gotta um, talk more because I every conversation, you know, adds more questions in my head. But this is why I love it. And man, I, I look, I appreciate you for not just for this conversation. I appreciate you for everything that you've done in the industry, and you know, kind of been a shining light on how to do things, even for the people that uh, have the Mike Ball Pussy Club. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to start the anti-club for that right there, but, uh, man, it's an honor. Thank you so much. Is there, is there anything that you want to lead people to, um, as far as, you know, where, where can they find I, anybody that's not like follow Mike, I think would probably be under a rock, but if there are folks that listen to this and are like, I don't know who Mike Bull is, he's the, he's the old guy with the glasses and the, exactly. and the glasses. <laughs> and then sitting in his house. I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where he is, but he's talking <laughs> to some old guy, but no. So, uh, Twitter is M Boyle 1959. Uh, Instagram is Michael underscore Boyle 1959. And um, our certification is certified functional strength coach, which I think is really good. If one of the best. I confirm this. One of the best certifications there is, period. We have huge success, in all honesty, with that all over the world now. I mean, we've got it in probably, I don't even know, more than 20 countries. And we're, it's going really well. So if people are interested in that, that's certified FSC.com. Those are the big things. I mean, our body by boils up, you know, our, our gym website, but that's like, if you want to sign up. So if somebody's listening to your podcast happens to, to live 
within 10 minutes of Woburn, Massachusetts, they can look at that one. But otherwise, <laughs> and then yeah, strength, well, strengthcoach.com, we're still banging away on that. We still are there doing the same thing, you know, posting information, educating coaches. I'm on there every day. I, I, I enjoy that. I, I do. I like the education part of this. I do like teaching people and I like helping people. So it's a very easy, uh, easy fit for me. I don't have to yeah. like something like this, this podcast, as you said, I could, I could talk to you. This could, we could be one well, this could be like a human job where we're on here for three hours, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. and, and I mean, look, this, that's, that's the thing is like, when you get to the point where you're like, this is what I love doing and I love sharing it, it definitely becomes easier. And, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's where I'm like, Hey, find platforms where you can kind of, kind of share that. And we'll, we'll put all the, uh, the stuff in the show notes so that, so that people can click through to it. And for, you know, for everybody that's listening, look, if you got value from it, Please share it, you know, share it directly with somebody that's maybe in a coaching industry that needs to hear some of this stuff, you know, share it obviously on a wider platform. If, if, if you can, that's to me for, for this, that's the only thing I ask for. We don't really have sponsors. Uh, you know, this is just straight, straight content, straight fire. Um, and make sure you follow Mike. And, uh, if you disagree with him, disagree with him in a, you know, in a non-dumb way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my friend. It was a pleasure. Appreciate you, Mike. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too, my friend.